Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Inspired. I am super thrilled today to welcome Malcolm Hawker to the Inspired episode. Malcolm is head of data strategy at Prophecy, uh, a thought leader in data strategy, digital transformation, transformation, master data management, data governance. is also a contributor, writer and at Forbes and member of Forbes Technology Council and was previously a senior director at Gartner providing thought leadership and strategic guidance to C-level and senior business executives. Welcome, super thrilled to have you on Inspired and welcome. Thank you, Rish. It's exciting to be here. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, there's so many things I need to talk to you about and learn from you. <laughs> but uh, we'll start off with your journey first. Uh, so I was looking at your journey and uh, if I'm not wrong, you started into product management and yeah. leadership in product management at AOL. And then there was a transition that you made with from you know typical or core product management into data governance and MDM. So I was intrigued uh, to understand and know about your journey, like what led to that transition, being a core product manager or core product management guy to uh, to the data world, uh, specifically in data governance and MDM. Yeah, it, it all kind of happened a little bit by happenstance. So I was on a product management track for sure. All of my experience uh, was mostly in product management. I had kind of risen to the point of actually being a chief product officer. I was I was mm -hmm. working at a small startup in, in Austin, Texas. I, I had a, a, a great career over 10 years at AOL, and I had another three to four years at a company called Hoover's, which was bought up by Dun & Bradstreet. And in mm -hmm. each of those situations, I was in product management roles where I had been a product manager, was, was writing requirements, building software, building tools, uh, both for customer-facing tools and, and internally-facing kind of back-office IT-type tools. Um, and work my way up to kind of team lead and then uh, chief product officer. And it was, it was a great ride. And I learned so much about the, the art of product management and product mm -hmm. leadership and what makes for good product management and, uh, and product development as a whole. So when you're, when you're in that, you not only, particularly at, at, at AOL, because I was wearing so many hats, this was a 10-year uh, run at, at AOL during the kind of the explosion of the internet. So we were... We were, we were doing everything by the seat of our pants and, and, and we were doing agile before it was kind of even agile because like mm -hmm. the, the product managers were like sitting right next to the engineers and we were writing requirements and, and feeding the requirements to the engineers as fast as they could as they could digest them. But um, the great part, the great part about that is that I got a chance to actually um, learn engineering and, and, and mm -hmm. SDLC, the, 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 everything that goes into writing good code and, and, and creating good software. Right. And actually, and, and, and during my, my tenure in that kind of that product management track, I actually got for two years, um, and this was kind of part of my, my, my professional development, kind of part of my plan, for two years, I actually got to, to manage a team of engineers. 
mm -hmm. of like hardcore Java engineers uh, that were building large portions of AOL's uh, advertising infrastructure. That was that was just so worthwhile and so valuable as, as a product person right. to, to learn how to manage engineers and learn how they think and learn how they're motivated and, and be able to kind of speak in engineering and, and understand the, the core tenets of checking in code, checking out code, QA processes, you, you, you name it. That, that was fantastic. Right. Um, I made a transition in, into data and analytics really just kind of by, by necessity. Um, I was working for this small startup as, as a chief product officer, and that company ended up getting bought out. We were building uh, uh, product man or project management software, resource management software, and we ended up getting bought out by uh, NetSuite. And my position was eliminated, and most of the staff positions were eliminated. They ended up buying, you know, it was pretty much an acquisition for the customer base, and less okay. so the technology, and less so people. Um, and right around that time, I had a significant illness. It wasn't me, but a family member had a significant illness. So I had been recently laid off. I had, there was a family member with a significant illness. And I thought to myself, okay, well, this is a great time to try something different, a great time to get into consulting which is mm -hmm. exactly what I did and started to consult back to some of the executives that I previously worked with at AOL. And that led me into data and analytics. Uh, so I, I did have, when I was doing product management, I was doing product management for internally facing tools. Some of the things that I had product managed in the past were like uh, BI tools, like reporting tools for internal users. So I had a bit of an IT and data foundation Mm -hmm. Um, but I, at that point of this kind of transition away from product management and into it and into data and analytics, um, came, came really just as a result of, of necessity and just life changes and just things that just happened. But as it turned out, it was, it was a, it was a fantastic transition for me. Um, I love being in product management, but I, I love the data and analytics space as well. Cause it, what I found was that some of the problems in, in the data space, what really attracted me to them was was this this duality this paradox meaning there were things in the data world that seemed really easy right and on the surface like having an accurate count of your customers right that that's that, that was my first job out of product management as a consultant i got hired as a consultant uh to answer what i thought was just like this infinitely simple question of how many customers does this very large company publicly traded company have i, I thought this is going to be a slam dunk. This is going to be the easiest <laughs> consulting gig I've ever had. And, and cause you know, I'll, I'll, I'll set up Tableau. I'll run, you know, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll run a few reports and, and poof, uh, Easy. you know, yeah. And I realized that data was in multiple places and I was like, oh, okay, well that's not uncommon to have data in a few different marts or yeah. know, multiple data warehouses, but I figured, okay, this is going to be pretty easy. And then what I figured out was, is like, oh no, I, I, I this is going to be really hard. Uh, and, and, and that combination of what appeared to be easy but was actually quite hard was like was 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 that combination to me was incredibly attractive and 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 to this day to this very day uh that combination of it seems easy but it's actually really really hard and a lot of people kind of avoid data and analytics for that reason they avoid data management mdm data governance for that reason because again sounds easy but doing it is is really really hard and that's what's kind of kept me passionate and kept me excited to be in the space that I'm in. Right. I, I think uh, even the more most established players do find it hard uh, mm. to do data management and uh, data governance and how the data world has explored has become even more uh, you know important to exactly. have this data governance. Uh, you also mentioned about uh, 
uh, DNB and Hoover. Yeah. I remember from my consultancy gigs, uh, I was first exposed to Hoover data doing a consultancy project for a client in the US. Oh, how about where, that? Yeah. So we were looking at, uh, you know, uh, the spending of different customers, their headquarters, headcounts, and then finding the potential uh, customers for a particular service of a client who who could be the potential, uh, you know, buyer of that uh, service or a product. That's when we grabbed data from Hoover or DNB, DNB and uh, started doing an analytics on top of that. Yeah, again, something that seems really simple, right? Information about companies or information about people. There's there were there was a Hoover's did have a bit of a contact database, a kind of a B two B sales and marketing type contact database, and they could sell you like mailing lists and email yeah. lists and that kind of thing. But the but the core of it was this database of information about people. Right. And again, well, that should be easy. I could just go on Google and find all of this stuff. It's out there. It's on the internet. How hard can it be? Well, having it consistent and accurate and curated and constantly updated with a consistent set of business rules being applied to it so that you know that the same rule that went into creating Acme Incorporated was the same rule that Beta Core Incorporated used and every other, not to mention the complex hierarchies that exist between companies and the parent exactly. child relationships that exist. That's, that's very that's, complex. That's, that's hard, yeah. right? Like managing that stuff is really, really hard. So companies are like, okay, can you do this for us? Can you set up this up for us? And yes. Um, one of the funnest things that I ever did at Hoover's, we, we managing a product management team and, and we, we built a, the first integration into salesforce.com okay. um, um, where you could be in Salesforce and click on an account in Salesforce and it would automatically pull in data through, through an API connection from the, from the Hoover's database in, into Salesforce. So I, I got in that, in that role, I got to, to attend a lot of the very early dream forces through, through Salesforce, which were a lot of, which were a lot of blast, a lot of fun, like, you know, going to see Metallica in the Moscone Center, uh, with your company oh. paying for it. It was, it was fun. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And also like the product management to data shift, I think the product managers, their role has become so data driven as well. Uh, so. I think they are also the champ. They have to be champions of data and understanding data and doing analytics as well in order to understand the product, finding opportunities, you know, uh, learn more about their product as well. And mm -hmm. uh, one great thing you mentioned you were doing agile, just with no one knew what agile was. <laughs> but what, did you use terminologies like agile? No. What was it called? <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't call it agile. I mean, like, but AOL, um, that that was the cloud before we called it the cloud it was a multi-tenant environment um and and we didn't we didn't call it the cloud but it is the service that everybody used and everybody had the same databases and everybody had the same tools but now we were calling it agile we were just calling how fast how fast can we move in, in our in our in our sdlc and um you know, in some of the bigger projects and some of the kind of more sensitive initiatives, we were following more of a waterfall pattern. But mm. most certainly when we were working on smaller stuff, I mean, it was the, the product managers were working hand hand in hand with the engineers. Right. Um, so but that 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 whole that whole experience of like, you know, working with engineers and, and you know, understanding kind of how they think versus a product management mindset was just just so valuable to me. And in. And, and, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, product managers having to think in more kind of data centric ways. Uh, couldn't agree more. You know, I, I think we'll we'll talk more about kind of you know data as a product. I got yeah. a lot of I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of perspectives there. But but I think I think product managers um, make for fantastic 
uh, leaders in the data and analytics space because of their rooting in, in understanding customer problems. Mm -hmm. And because of their, because of, 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 to me, the best product managers are fantastic problem solvers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like right. you, you have this need, you have this problem, you have this market need, your customers are trying to do X, Y, Z. And what do I need to do as a product manager in order to address that need? What are the pieces, the functionalities, the capabilities, the user experience, the design? What do I need to put together? How do I, how do I put all of those pieces together to solve a very complex problem? To me, that is the kind of the core of, of product management. Yeah, we can talk about P&L, we can talk about other, other softer skills like uh, you know project management type skills and communication and mm -hmm. interfacing with people, but problem solving, like yeah. being very good at problem solving, that to me, that is the core DNA of a good product manager. I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, and definitely we'll delve more into data as a product, but there are a couple of uh, uh, other topics that I wanted to discuss with you. And before getting into that, uh, if it would be great if you can expand uh, more about uh, your role at Prophecy yeah. and what Prophecy is doing right now. Uh, so it'll be great if you can expand yeah. on that. Yeah, thank you. So, so Prophecy is a vendor of MDM, Master mm -hmm. Data Management Software. We are on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Uh, we're one of the leaders in this space uh, around uh, Master Data Management. My role is is head of data strategy, but but really. What that means is primarily I'm focused on evangelism, for lack, for lack of a better word. It is my job to raise the awareness in the, in the market of the importance of data and analytics, the importance of master data management, how MDM can drive value for organizations, how MDM can be used as a foundational element of a digital transformation. We firmly believe at Prophecy that a, a rising tide will lift all boats. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I'm out there on LinkedIn, if I'm on your podcast, and if I'm on other podcasts or I'm at industry events and I'm talking about how important MDM is and I'm talking about best practices, I'm talking about industry trends, I'm talking about business value, that when people see that on LinkedIn or they see this on this awesome podcast or they see this, uh, maybe I'm giving a presentation at, a, at an industry event, they'll say, aha, I need this MDM stuff. Right. We, we need to figure out how to have accurate and consistent and trustworthy and high quality customer data or product data or supplier data. And I heard that guy, that Malcolm guy talking about it. Maybe I should go talk to him a little bit more about, you know, where what where this should be on our roadmap. Um, and, and so that's really my role is, is, is evangelism in, in the space around MDM. I, I do work for a vendor, of course, and I'm, I'm you know, obviously a little bit biased, but my primary role is to build awareness around the value of MDM and then the value of my, my company's solution in the space secondarily. Great. I, this is a very important topic because I think all of the business decisions today, uh, as opposed to, you know, say a decade back, now everything is reliant on data. You know, yeah. everyone is looking for data, hungry for data, and then they take important or key business decisions which impacts the bottom line of the business. Now, if that data isn't trustworthy, there's no governance around it. That means you might end up taking decisions which are not right for the business and ultimately not right for your consumers, yep. uh, which ultimately means you're going in the wrong direction or trajectory. So yep. if you bundle this all together, it tells you the importance of MDM and data governance and have criticality of having the right data and the governance around it. Uh, 
The, you're absolutely right. <laughs> what you just said is is bang on. But Rish, you would be amazed how many how many organizations out there still really kind of treat this as as a technology problem or really kind of skip over governance and MDM and data quality and think that just I can deploy a data warehouse, right? Mm-hmm. I can go, you know, implement Snowflake, which, which is fantastic software, by the way. I'm not yeah. talking Snowflake, but or, 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 or any data warehouse type infrastructure. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. I could just go drop a bunch of data on his Amazon or Google or Azure. Mm-hmm. So many companies think that that if you just put all the, the data in one place, then you've, then you've solved for data quality. Right, that you've solved for for having a single source of truth, that you've solved for having, uh, you know, consistent data governance, and and it, that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? All you've done is put your data into one bucket, yeah. Right, you, you you may have limited the number of queries that 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 you have to make, or the number of sources that you have to go into. You may have made it a little easier to centralize permissions and access to that data, most certainly, because you've been single place, um, and you may have even put some cool analytics and visualization tools on top of it. Those things are great too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used Click, Burst, Tableau, Business Objects, you name it, I've used them all. Those mm-hmm. are great tools. Yeah. But but if you have two records, um, one is Joe Smith and the other is Joseph Smith, and they're the exact same person, but you've got two separate IDs for them, which one are you supposed to trust? Right. And putting it into one place is not solved for that issue. It hasn't solved for the issue of of your record for Acme Incorporated missing an address or having the address be inc- incomplete or incorrect. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for using data warehouses and I'm all for using you know um, you know cloud based solutions for 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 housing data. But if you don't address some of these data quality issues, um, you're going to have a lot of problems, right? And I see the same thing. I mean, I see that day in and day out. I see a lot of companies out there marketing around, well, just just slap it into a warehouse and you've got your problem solved or just slap an AI layer over top yeah. of it and then your problems are going to be solved too, right? Well, no, we, we saw this We saw this 12 years ago with, with Hadoop, right? And companies went and spent a lot of money lot on of big money. data yep. infrastructures, a lot. And it didn't solve for any of the data quality issues. So executives were still running reports, looking at it as like, I... I, I can't make any sense of this. Or I see the same record four times, or, yeah. or I have an agent in my call center who's logging into my application and seeing the same customer record five times. So that's that's the core issue that that, that prophecy is trying to solve. That's the core issue that I'm trying to bring attention to in, in the market. And by saying like, hey, there are some great technologies out there. Don't get me wrong, uh, fantastic stuff out there, amazing tools, but. MDM first and foremost is a discipline. It's a way of managing data. Secondarily, it's a, it's a software, right? right? And that same is true with data quality. Data quality, there's software, but data quality as a program, being it's 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 inherently discipline first. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those are, those are some of the things that I'm trying to kind of you know insights that I'm trying to bring to the market. Yeah, and especially like now we are in the era of acquisitions, mergers, right? So you're bound to have different organizations bringing in their customer base or da- their databases together. Uh, and then there are challenges of data when those all those kind of mergers, acquisitions of databases also happen. Yeah. Uh, and you've been at Gartner and pretty sure you were heavily involved in you know providing this guidance to execs, particularly in MDM and data governance space, which would have involved a lot of research and client consulting. So as you explain the problems that we see in the industry about the dis- this discipline, understanding the discipline rather than the technology, do you think 
this is where the organizations fail or succeed today or there are other things on top of that where the yeah. organization could succeed in implementing their md yeah. data governance solutions yeah um <laughs> there's good news here and there's um, some bad news as well <laughs> um uh, you know we broadly speaking you 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 could look at all data management but but let's let's focus on mdm because that that's a comfort zone for me not my only one mm-hmm. um is, is people process and technology right it's 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 simple there, there, there's no there's no new math there that these are, this has been well known for a long time um when i look at a lot of the organizations and 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 you mentioned my time at gardner mm-hmm. uh, while i was at gardner for nearly three years i i had 1500 conversations with different companies like so 1500 mm-hmm. companies people probably close to about 2000 people um <laughs> at, at those companies about what's working and about what's not working uh from the perspective of MDM and, and governance and data management as a whole um a few of the bigger challenges that i see is is one most certainly is a lack of data governance mm-hmm. right uh and not investing enough in data governance in the form of uh, both people uh and in the form of policies and procedures and managing a a a data governance process that would include things like creating a data governance committee uh having having roles defined for data stewardship having having right. the business rules and the policies and procedures defined that say things like group A is responsible for this task and group B is responsible for another task policies and procedures related to data definitions data structures i mean i mean your average data governance framework can contain a lot of things right yep. uh, the, the DAMA the DAMA has a framework Gartner had a framework there's a lot of frameworks out there but includes things like data quality MDM security and access i would argue that that is that is important to to a data governance function even things like archival retention uh ethics of data uh and, and on and on um So number one problem that I see number one challenge is companies just not investing enough in 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 data governance. The number two problem maybe I should have said this first because I think it's probably closer to number one in terms of impact is companies really 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 struggle with understanding and quantifying the connection between investments in data mm-hmm. and business outcomes. meaning do you have a business case like product managers we have to create business cases or we don't get funding exactly right for everything yeah right right but but in the data world and in the IT world um you know business cases are are, are fairly rare and and it is very rare in the MDM space as a matter of fact when i was a gardener we had research that showed 90% of data analytics leaders could not quantify the the, the business benefit that 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 a MDM program had on their organization so this that is, is true that yeah. is true and from my experience as well it has moved mostly been at a very superficial level absolutely yeah nothing in detail as a product manager would go through well right right because again if we're in a product role and we didn't justify it, we wouldn't get the investment right so right. absolutely so what i would see is when i was a gardener i would ask my clients well do you have a business case for investments in mdm or data quality you want to go buy a tool what what's your business case well our data will be better and i'm like well okay but that's not really a business case right yeah. can you quantify increased revenue reduce costs or reduce business risk or some combination of those three well no malcolm you can't do that that's impossible that you can't do that because the connection between data and outcomes is 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 indirect right there's not a one to one correlation between better customer data and more sales and i would say well time out <laughs> there there actually can be there most yeah. certainly can be because i guarantee you that your sales organization has metrics around things like if i have one 
one more qualified lead. If I get a sales lead, what will I, I, there will be metrics that will say that there's you know what chance will it convert, and if it does convert, how much money will that bring to the company, and how and how long will that company customer stick around? What's the average life cycle of a, of a customer? So. If you could deliver one more qualified lead, or if you could do that faster, or if you could get a product on the shelf faster, whether it's product data, customer data, employee data, I would argue, yes, absolutely. You can build business cases here, but most, most, I will say most uh, data and analytics leaders are not doing that. That means that they struggle with scope, mm. right? How do you, again, product managers, they know if you only, you've only got time, people um, and money, <laughs> yeah. Right. And 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 if, if one of those has to go, well, then you have to limit your scope. And in the data analytics world, I would ask all the time, okay, what's your scope? All right. Uh, well, it's customer data. Well, that's everywhere. Yeah. Right? That, that's not really a limitation on scope. So if you don't have a business case, it's really hard for you to to, to have to limit your scope. It's really hard for you to prioritize. Right. It's really hard for you to understand. Um, where the biggest benefits are going to be, right? So every effort then at that point, all efforts become the same, right? Because you can't differentiate whether doing A or B or C is going to drive more value for the business, right. right? So it inevitably leads to scope creep. It inevitably leads to situations where um, data analytics can't, leaders can't justify the things that they're doing. They can't prioritize. They have a hard time getting stakeholder involvement and engagement and stakeholder buy-in because inevitably, if you if you were looking at MBM, inevitably where you are getting towards is a place that requires business process changes. Yep. Right. Because today, chances are your onboarding processes are broken or your supplier processes are suboptimal, or you allow salespeople too much latitude in a CRM to do whatever they want. And if you want to fix the data problems, you have to fix some of the business processes that, that are involved in creating that data. So you will have to have difficult conversations with business leaders that will say things like, well, hey, we need to make this field a required field now. It hasn't been. It's been a free text field that salespeople fill it out with whatever they want. Well, we need to change that. Then that business leader is going to say, why do I need to change that? I'm hitting my targets. My, my SLAs are all fine. I'm hitting my revenue targets, but you're telling me everything's broken, right? Yeah. Well, if, that's, that's, that makes for a very odd and difficult conversation if you don't have a business case. You need to be able to say, hey, if we do this, we make this a required field, we know that it will yield a million dollars to the business. So... That's challenge number two, a, a, a lack of a business case. Number three is a lack of, of senior executive support, mm -hmm. right? So we see this Absolutely. all all the time, uh, you know, people kind of managing these as IT projects without going to sales leaders or finance leaders or the CEO or the CFO and, and getting the right levels of support for MDM initiatives. I mentioned scope, right, which is a, a which is a definite um, a function of, of a lack of that business case. Right. Then, then, then finally, you know, the, the biggest challenge that I see is still to this day, data data people treat these initiatives as technology initiatives. They don't treat them as as, as business process initiatives or organizational effectiveness initiatives, um, or even revenue generating initiatives. They just treat them as like an IT project where you deploy software, the software is deployed, and you're done. Yeah. You put it so well. I was thinking about one of the. Uh, issue i would say that i had faced in one of my uh, assignment as well at some at one of the companies where i also feel we are more reactive you talked about business case right so when we require that data that's when we realize oh our processes are broken <laughs> i don't have this data in the format that i need or in the way i need right so we are being reactive and then realize oh we are missing out on the opportunity 
but if we do a business case saying that we don't have the the data that is required of, in my case it was a synchronization data acquisition problem mm-hmm. and we didn't invest at the uh, you know in, in the initial phases because we didn't build a business case now had we built a business case we would have said this is what the data would be used for this is how it marketing could reach out more customers and that's your business proposition whereas you know we were being more reactive so it's also about when you build a business case that's what product managers do they are more proactive in understanding where the opportunities are and same applies in the data world as well yep bang on but but it's it, this is this is another reason why i think product managers make fan, make for fantastic program leads in the data and analytics world because they know how to build business cases they product managers know how to have to sit down with business people and say okay if we change a or if we change b we make it faster we make it easier we reduce some friction in the onboard what do you think that that would mean to your business how would it, would you run faster would you would you would you be able to hit your sales targets and those those are the conversations that need to happen to build the business case and and yeah sometimes there's going to be a little bit of art involved mm-hmm. right exactly <laughs> this is a modeling exercise at the yeah. core it's a modeling exercise making 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 a a quantification of the impacts of better data inherently is a modeling exercise it always is right um but that's okay right if if you treat it iteratively and if you say okay we will monitor this we'll create some reports we're going to monitor this right and and we'll keep an eye on it the model will get better as mm-hmm. we go we'll refine as we go uh, but uh, you know getting the right people involved is so important right with within any business unit there's always two or three people who are the, the people who kind of do the annual budgets they do the planning they do the forecasting they're like the excel people for whatever vp of 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 you know supply chain or vp of product manager or whatever find those people and work with them those are the people you need to work with right you you have summarized in few bullet points i know uh the the strategy or the steps the organization should take in their mdm or data governance journey and we have been talking about product yeah. having a product lens as well so i wanted to get is i think it's a great segue to discuss more about data as a product uh, and you have specialized specialization in both product management yeah. and data so if you can share your experience with us on data as a product the concept if you have to define it how would you define yeah. it uh, maybe some examples would be great and yeah. i know sometimes it gets confused with data products so yeah, yeah. like yeah some people would use it synonymously so if you can share some insights in that that is yeah my experience with data as a product is kind of frustrating <laughs> <laughs> okay expand expand on that yeah it, it and it's kind of frustrating because i think i i i think what i see what is data and analytics people right I, which which are it people right these are the these are the people that are managing the data quality program the mdm program or the data you know the 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 tableau or burst or maybe even a data science program that that's all cool stuff and these are these are really really smart people don't get mm-hmm. me wrong but this notion of data as a product what i see is that those people right my people it people tend to look at the world from the bottom up right where where you, when you say data as a product that inevitably leads people to look at things at the most minute level right the most atomic level possible 
And they will, and what I'm hearing, and I see on out on LinkedIn at conversations at, at I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago at the CDO conference in Boston where people were presenting about data as products, and they start talking about well, that that's a field, or it could even be an attribute of data that could be a product. And and I'm like, well, I guess it could be right, and, and a, a, a little chunk of metadata or an attribute or field could could be a certainly you could you could productize that, but what happened to looking at this through the lens of the problem that is solving? Right. Exactly. Like like product managers tend to look at the world from the top down. Yeah. Right. And and they, they, they go from the need into the component parts that are required to fulfill the need. Yeah. Data and analytics people tend to look at the bottom from the bottom up where they will start at a, a, a attribute to a field, to an ontology, to a set of tables, to, to and 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 I think that that does kind of this notion of data as a product, a bit of a disservice, right? If you started at the top and started with a need, right? And my clients have a need for, reporting is the, is, is the best example, right? Mm -hmm. Like they have, they, have a, they have a need for building a report. They have a need for insight X, or they have a need for a, a model that, that predicts, let's see, here's another good example, a mm -hmm. model that predicts future demand, right? That's a, very, that's a very specific need that you can kind of put your hand around. You can build a business case around it, start there, and then work your way into the fields or attributes of data that you would need in order to fulfill that. And just like building a car, right? My customers need a car. I don't hear anybody, um, or, you know, I, I would imagine, I, I haven't built, been at a car manufacturing <laughs> plant recently, but I can't imagine that the product manager is sitting around thinking, goes, you know, is that, is that individual nut or that <laughs> bolt, is that a product? I think we're going to call it a bolt. A bolt, a bolt is a product. The nuts a product. That individual washer is a product too. And oh yeah, over there, this thing, everything, a brake pad is a product, and that actually might be a product. And we could, it's a, it's a unit of sale. Um, so, so, so my point here, Rich, is is that in the data analytics world, I love. Don't get me wrong. What what I love is the data management as product management the application of product management disciplines to data management. That I love. I love that. If we could do more and more of that, the application of product management type disciplines into the world of data management, data management would be a much, much, much better place. Would be more, I would argue it would be more, far more customer centric. It would be far mm -hmm. more effective. It would be far more productive. We'd be able to quantify the, the, the business benefits that we were driving. We would be able to prioritize our efforts. We would be able to spend money more efficiently. But what we do instead is we get in these arguments about what is a data product and, and is it a field? Is it an attribute? And, 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 and that just, it just, it's not helping, right? Because it's backwards. Right. Right. Start from the need. And then you may be able you may be able to have a unit of sale all the way down to that individual field or that attribute. And that's fine. Um, but starting with the need and then figuring out what goes into that need, I, I think is I think is where we should be starting. So, you know, a lot of this has to do, you know, data as a product. A lot of the current kind of mania there is is thanks to a, a big infatuation right now with the data mesh. Yeah. Um, and which is really kind of the a, a core tenet of the data mesh is this is this notion of data products, right? And and you should treat your data like a product. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, again, fine. 
right? Um, you know, it, it, treating the data as a product and, and if you were to sell it, you know, what would the customers want? What would they not want? What would the attributes of it be? What would you charge for it? What would you even even things like your 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 life cycle and managing for the, the, the product life cycle, aka the data life cycle, would even get into things like archival and sunset of products, all those things. That stuff is great. Like, I love it. But mm -hmm. what I see is a lot of energy being wasted with debating online about whether a field of data is a product. Right, right. So. I agree. Hundred, you put it nicely, uh, and it's all about having that holistic view or a bigger picture and understanding the problem that your data product is gonna solve for the consumer. Yeah, and that consumer could be internal, could yeah. be external, anyone that you're working with. And sometimes it could. I mean, there's a new con other concept as well, which is being spoken about when we talk about data as a product. Is also that's right, which is data as a service. Mm. So. How do you think like these two differ from each other? Uh, is it you go through a maturity curve from data as a service or to DAP or from DAP to DAS? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, I've tinkered with the idea of, of data as a service, right? Mm -hmm. I worked for Dun & Bradstreet for mm -hmm. a number of years and that's data as a service. You buy a subscription to data and it's most certainly, you know, uh, it's API driven and you use it as you need it and you don't actually technically own it. You just subscribe to access to the data. Um, in, in theory, if Dun & Bradstreet wanted their data back, they, they, they under their contract, they, they could pull it back because you don't own that data. Um, but yeah, I, you know, data as a service could be a lot of different things, right? It could be a subscription to data. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think when I hear data as a service, that's really kind of what I think. It's like you're you're, you're subscribing to some sort of uh, of data, um, which is a product as well, right? <laughs> so so if you're selling data as a service, I mean, I would argue that that's a that's a data product, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's a lot of gray area there between the two. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I I think I think data as a service is is like it's just just like you were subscribing to to software, you could be subscribing to uh, to data. Right, right. And talking about data as a product, uh, you mentioned a few things about it. And what I also wanted to understand: what if organizations are not thinking in that mindset of data as a product? Mm. Why do you think it's important, uh, and the benefits this mindset is going to bring for them? Yeah. Well. I think if if the company is thinking of data management as product management, right? If they are applying product management principles to data management, I, I honestly think that that will give them a competitive advantage. I I I, I, tr I truly believe that if they were mm -hmm. if they were looking at data as a product, I, I think it would drastically change a lot of internal processes, right? I think it would bring more maturity to things like building business cases, more maturity to understanding customer needs, to defining customer needs, right? Managing products, managing whole suites of product, not just an individual one, but a, a, a family of products, right? Mm -hmm. So, I know, again, I, I think that the companies that do that, I, I think if they're successful at it, could most certainly drive competitive, you know, differentiation with companies that don't. Right. Because for all the reasons that I talked about before, if, if you are out there and you can't prioritize 
one data, right? If you can't say this data is more important than that data, if you just create all treat all data as the exact same and with the exact same value, with the exact same benefits, you're going to have a really, really, really difficult time managing data efficiently. Not to mention the fact that the amount of data, right, the three V's of data are exploding, right? So if you can't prioritize data, if you don't understand how data is being used within your organization or how it's being used externally, you're going to have an awfully hard time, right? Right. Product managers, that's what they do. How is this product being used? I mean, I can remember when I, when I ran a product management organization, we, we would hire like these, these testing companies and put people in, in you know, we, we were building software and, and, and put people into these kind of this testing scenarios and watch them interact with the product. How are they actually interacting with it? What's working? What's not working? Where are the buttons working? Where it's not working? Right. And, and if we started to do more of that in, in the data world, Right where we had data as a product. I mean, this this could be immensely valuable. I, I think to data and analytics organizations and to CDOs. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there there is some aspect of of selling data, like data monetization. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that that's where if you were to look at this from kind of like a Venn diagram, um, that's where there is the between product management and data management. Like data monetization is the kind of the closest thing to to like you know uh, building and selling a, a product uh, but honestly not a lot of companies are doing it yeah <laughs> unless it's unless it's their business right unless it's like a dun and bradstreet and it's their business to yeah. sell data so few companies I, I forget the exact number but but I, I when i was at gartner i know that we had done some research around this and it's 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 a very very small fraction of companies i i want i want to say fewer than 20 percent of companies and probably even less than that uh, don't quote me on that number, but a very, very <laughs> small number of companies are actually monetizing their data, right? Mm -hmm. S selling data for money. Um, but if you treated data management as product management, inter integrated product management disciplines into data management, I think it would be an easy stretch to move into data monetization. Yeah. Right. And go ahead. Yeah. No, I think uh, I was just thinking of some scenarios. I do think applying these principles sometimes also help uh, in in channelizing your resources, your company, your people in the right direction in terms of data as well. Because think of you could build a fancy model to every problem and data scientists say it's going to solve it, but maybe that's not a consumer problem at all. Consumer problem is something else. So having a product lens doesn't look at from the technology perspective as to whether you're just putting an analytic solution or a reporting or a jazzy model, it's about solving the problem. So agree are you actually channelizing your resources in that way, which also talks about then the ROI on your, uh, on your data as a product, right? That's yep. your ROI basically. Yeah. I, I saw this, uh, with big data. Mm -hmm. Right. And I saw this with a lot of companies investments in Hadoop, which for many companies, many companies turned out to be an exercise of creating a lot of very, very, very interesting answers to questions nobody was asking. <laughs> right. Like, oh, look at this correlation I found. Right. I, 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 I found a causal relationship between eye color and employee tenure. <laughs> People with blue eyes tend to stay employed longer. <laughs> Nobody's asking, yeah. right? Like, how am I going to action that? And but, but besides that, like, hey, head of HR, did you know that people with blue eyes stay around longer than than? And by the way, guys, I don't know this to be true. I'm being, <laughs> I'm, being I'm being glib, but that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. These these interesting causal relationships that nobody really 
was asking about and couldn't figure out how to operationalize anyway. Right? Yeah. So, so to your point, Rish, yeah, if, if, if you first start with the need, we, like the need here is um, we, need, we need to find out, we need data that will help us predict employee tenure. Okay, that's great. And maybe, maybe down the road, we'll find out that, you know, their eye color has something to do with it. I doubt it, of course, but, but, but start with the problem first and, and then come up with the answers. But instead, so often what I see in the data and analytics world is they come up with these answers and figure and say, oh, okay, well, can you use this? Is this, is this worthwhile to you? I found this cool stuff. I built this amazing AI model that, uh, yeah. but is, is it any, is it worth anything to you? Like, well, <laughs> that's, that could be an awfully big waste of money. Right, right. We have talked about like one of the pillars out of, of a typical consumer product, which is like understanding the need or uh, business case, right? But a product, a consumer product has a lot more different pillars that you know are, are applicable, like usage, support, uh, usability, reviews, identification, specification, even security and documentation. Mm -hmm. All of these are different pillars that you can apply to a typical consumer product that a product managers would think about. Yeah. Do you think all of this also could be applied to data when Without you think about data as a product? Yep. Can, can you maybe if you can help us unpack maybe one of these pillars that you think we well, would not the, think usability? Yeah, usability. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's that's a that's a way that that's a way of describing what in the data world the phrase we use is fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. Is, is this data fit for the purpose for how it's going to be used? Right. right. Um, that's to me, that's usability. Is it usable? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly different twist of the word, but, but the, the, but the, the intent is the exact same security and access, right? Who, who, who should be able to see the, or interface with this data? Um, or what, what are your security protocols to make sure that, um, you are staying, you know, regular compliant to, to regulations, or I mean, all the things that you had mentioned in, in terms of kind of like the core tenets of, of product management, I think can right. easily be applied in the data management world. And we're largely doing it. We just apply different, slightly different um, words. Yeah. Right. And and you know, an, another example is um, in in you know marketing. Um, somebody in, in data and analytics would say, well, we can, you know, can you operationalize the data? Can you use the data? Is it fit for purpose? A marketer may actually say, well, can I activate that data? Yeah. Right. Like true. We, we see this all the time. It's just for whatever reason, we like to use different words to say the exact same thing. Um, maybe to make things more complicated. I, I, I don't know, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, usability is, is, is the data fit for purpose? Um, right. is it, is it trustworthy? Is it, is it accurate? Is it consistent? Yeah. Right. I can think of product support could also be, because what we do is when products is launched, we look at how consumers gonna, if they face any issues, how we can support them. The same could be applied to data. Once we expose this data, there are issues. Yep. How can we support? So yep. I, I could also see like all these pillars being applicable to data world as well. Yeah. And, and, and in the support, if you, if you're building, Let's let's assume you're building a a, a phone, right? Um, you're gonna you're gonna have some idea of what your defect rate is gonna be. Yeah. Right. You you, you should you yeah. should have some idea of what what that defect rate will be from a manufacturing perspective, from a software perspective, from usability perspective, and and if you don't, well, you're 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 either way you're gonna drive support. Right, because there will be defects, there will be suboptimal uh, usability. There's going to be things that are going to drive your support. 
In the data world, exact same thing. Data will be incorrect. It will be inaccurate. It will be out, uh, it, it'll be um, outdated, mm -hmm. right? That will that will drive queries that would otherwise be going to a customer support line, but instead they go to the help desk, right? Right. So instead of going to your eight hundred, you know, your your call center, they're they're going to the help desk. But it's the exact same thing. Help desk. What's wrong? Well, my report doesn't make any sense because the data in it is wrong. Right, yeah. or it's missing an address, or I looked at this address and it was for Domino's, and it was supposed to be for something else. Um, so, yeah, all of those tenants I think could be easily easily overlaid into the data analytics world. But again, we just love to use different words. Yeah, yeah, and we have briefly discussed about where like data governance is is also one of the aspects that fits into this overall data strategy. Mm -hmm. Now, thinking of the future of data analytics or oh, data governance, it. yeah, what do you think you? What are you most excited for in this world of data analytics or data governance in the future? Well, there, there's a few different things. So, so one, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the future in, in general, just because we, we know that there will be continue to be more and more data and there's going to continue to, to be a need to figure out all of this stuff, right? So I like paying my mortgage and I like having a job. Um, <laughs> so, so that in and of itself is, is, is inspiring to me. But in terms of the future, well, there are some things that we know are, are 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 here and will continue to be here and continue to to expand. One, um, what I would have called when I was a gardener, augmented data management. What what that mm -hmm. what that means is the application of AI, ML, other cool new technologies, graph, um, other stuff like that to provide added layers of of um, automation in in the world of data management. I would I would put uh, uh, the creation and management of data fabrics into that bucket as well. Mm -hmm. um, slightly separate topic is a data fabric is an architectural pattern, whereas these other things are unique, discrete technologies. But there's more and more and more and more and more data. And we are more competitive than we've ever been. Com customers and users are desperate for insights, right? They're desperate for competitive uh, separation. They are desperate to fulfill on the, the idea of digital transformation. That means that more data is needed to drive the insights that will drive the differentiation. That means that with limited numbers of people, we mm -hmm. need more and more and more automation in, in the data space, right? Absolutely. That will come through the lens of AI, that will come through smart robots that are able to do things like fix for data quality issues or kind of heal, fix data in real time or, or more even a basic, basic form is, you know, training uh, uh, ML models to 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 steward data in, in in more automated ways, or to learn off of what people are clicking on and not clicking on, or what data stewards are doing and not doing, and and and, and enhance models to to help with data stewardship and, and data quality management. Um, graph is pretty cool. Um, more and more graph applications of data from the perspective of relationships, because graph is very good at managing and and, yeah. and, and showing relationships that are that can be really powerful to understand context in data. Yeah. Right. Where before data management and data modeling was this very structured uh, exercise. Now we've got graph that'll say, hey, listen, you know, there's other things here that are relevant to a customer or a product or an asset that you may not have known about. Right. Um, so it's it's actually practical. Graph is an inherently practical application of unknown knowns to me. Right. Right. Which is pretty cool. Um, other future things. Well, um, I honestly believe that blockchain and distributed ledger technology will be transformational. Yeah. I, 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 I just, 
I have a hard time seeing a future where distributed ledgers do not play a role in data management. I, I just, I just, it, they're, they're purpose built yeah. for some use cases, not all, yeah. not all. They don't, don't get me wrong. I can already hear people out there saying, well, wait a minute, they're immutable. And how could that ever like immutable does, does not mean not changing, right? Ledger, ledgers are, are, are just, you know, uh, you know, read and write, they're yeah. not update. Yeah, right? you can change ledgers, right? It's not just because you you, you put a row into a ledger that it's. That, I mean, it is there forever. <laughs> That's the immutable part. Um, yeah. But things like data lineage, data provenance, right? Supply chain management, like understanding where things are touched in the supply chain. I, I happen to think that you know, consumers are going to demand more and more insights around the provenance of things like food, right? Mm -hmm. If if I'm eating uh, a head of lettuce, who touched it? Where did it come from? Was it ethically sourced? That's right? a great point. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and I want to be able to see the entire lineage of this uh, this head of cabbage. This yeah. is already done. There's there there are some very expensive restaurants in the world that I know of one in San Francisco that that has meat with a pedigree. Okay. Right. Like, where did the meat come from? It's like Kobe beef, like insanely expensive Kobe beef. But but we'll show you where it came from. Where was the cow raised? What was the cow eating? These are perfect use cases for ledger technology. Yeah. Um, that's kind of step one. Step two is I do actually see blockchains playing a role here in in this notion of what I uh, what I would call the creation of share shared data networks. Mm -hmm. Right. Right now, MDM is is a centralized pattern of data management where every company, every large company, has their own MDM. Mm -hmm. Sitting within those databases is information about people and, and about companies that is being replicated over and over and over and over and over. Acme Incorporated appears in, in, in one company's MDM, it appears in another company's MDM, and it appears in hundreds and thousands of companies of MDM. And that data is being stewarded and managed and governed largely, not entirely, but largely the same way mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of centralized points of management and stewardship and governance. Why can't we put MDM over top of those MDMs? Why right. can't we start sharing some of that data? And why couldn't we even implement some notion of a token or dare I say a cryptocurrency to reward people for stewarding, stewarding and managing the quality of the data in that shared asset? Right, right. Um, this is this is this is the business model of third-party data services like Experian, like Dun and Bradstreet, like others that create and manage data in centralized ways, where they get the value of curating, of managing, mm -hmm. of, of 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 managing the business rules for those databases. But I could easily see a world where, in the future, we decentralize that, where the management is put into individual nodes, and we create through DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. The governance rules and even the motive and even the the uh, financial incentives to manage that data in more of a, a shared way. Right. So I I think that's cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, there I, are I, some I, interesting use cases. Like yeah. yeah. So hey, I could talk for this stuff for another whole other <laughs> hour if we wanted to. I wish we had more time, but those are some interesting technologies as well as of course blockchain. I definitely agree with. But you have opened my eyes to different use cases as well. Obviously, I've seen use cases that it will be helpful for, but thanks for sharing that. I wish we had more time, as I said, but before letting you go, I wanted to know from you what has been your biggest life lesson or learning that you <sighs> could share with our community. My biggest life lesson. My goodness. Um, <laughs> you, number one is you are never finished learning. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Ne ne never. This is a constant, constant evolution. It's a constantly learning. And the more you are learning and the more excited you are to learn, I, I, I think the better you will be as a, as a business person or as a person in general. So I, 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 I love learning and, and I think that's been a good thing for me. 100% agreed. Uh, well, thank you so much, Malcolm, for being with us. It was such an insightful conversation and having you on Inspired. Uh, I wish I had more time, but we can definitely uh, next time uh, chat more about it. And many thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. If you know someone who you think we should interview or if you would like to connect with me, drop me a line on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. I hope you have an amazing day. Stay happy, stay healthy and be inspired. Thank you.